You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's episode, Father Paul explains how the assumptions we make about the meaning of words obscure the author's intent. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Let's try to tackle the text by applying these things I was sharing with you and begin with the beginning because again I would like to go over Genesis 1 through 11 with you and show you how ultimately it has the entire biblical message the first three words of the Bible are in the beginning created God you know, in Semitic languages, you have to use the verb before the subject. In the beginning, created God. Now, obviously, the subject of the phrase being God, everybody gets excited. Okay, God. And we move ahead. But when we do that, we are dealing with that word which, unfortunately, it is already the ultimate presupposition of what one perceives that word to mean as a concept already conceived. That's why I use the word conception. And thus present. And the assumption is that all those who use that word have the same referent in mind and thus assume that they are conversing. Okay, we're three people here sitting and we say God. And then the three of us nod. Okay, we know what God is. And then each one proceeds to tell us something about what we have in our mind. This is how philosophy, in which I'm not interested, but also theology function. Theology, I'm interested in the sense that people use it. You know, personally, I don't. It's silly. It's a human production like philosophy. But this is how we function. Just go out in the streets. Let's say I say hello to the administrator of the building in which I live and so on, he said, Godspeed or God be with you on this trip. The assumption is that she and I are in agreement as to what this word means. I know modern people tell me it doesn't need to be so because if I perceive it my way, I still understand it my way, but then it's uh, troublesome. Suppose God is something negative in my mind, and I'm hearing you telling me that may that God preserve you. 
you have to change then the meaning of the verb preserve. So I hope you're listening to me, hearers. It's a problem. It's not that simplistic. Okay, God, let's go ahead. So philosophy and theology start with a mental assumption and start talking about it as though it is a factual given. And here I cannot but get back to that infamous Plato. Like the soul. Everybody speaks about the soul. And as we shall see, this is not what nafish means. But the more important trouble with the soul is that we assume that we're talking about the same concept. Otherwise, you can't talk. Consider, let me get away from philosophy and theology. Consider, for example, the Freudian id and ego and how we all engage in discussing them with others until, lo and behold, someone notices that the same word is perceived differently by those engaged in the discussion. How many times this happens? It ego, yeah, definitely. And we start talking. And someone knowledgeable would realize, I mean, you have to have someone knowledgeable, obviously, that here, Richard and Father Mark, you're speaking about two different things. And we accept that. But my point here is not to use this to say, okay, then we learn so that we can use the same concept when we use the same word. My interest is beyond that. Is it what the author has in mind, who is no more with us? Now we say, oh, but let me ask a professor of Hebrew. Well, Father Paul was, uh, the trouble is that, but thank God that Mitchell Dahoud has died. Otherwise, he would send a message to all of you to click on it and say, and who tells you that Father Paul is saying the right thing? <laughs> That's the problem. Let me dismiss the word over That is the issue, friends that ultimately it is your responsibility i cannot take a responsibility for you so we have to engage in clarification discussions of clarification but how can i engage with you if you don't know the original language Libido. Everybody knows what libido is. Well, I don't know about that. So, please, help not me. I'm done. And not even yourselves, because according to Scripture, you are also done. But help the upcoming generation. I mean, they need some sense.
to go back to my example where someone points out that we are not using the word in the same sense. I prefer the word function. It does not function in the same way. Only then are we forced to define our terminology. And this is what I shall try to invite you to do with me. But to define it, so that you won't get excited that by the end of the second podcast you will have all the vocabulary, because you will have only the Tarazi dictionary. <laughs> you will not have the whole vocabulary. So that reminds me, and let me say it now, it's the feather in my cap when a lot of students, especially in the old days, that tell you about what I think about modern-day students. But let's not go on this aside. In the old days, people, many people told me, you know, Father Paul, in your classes, we don't learn theology. We don't even learn scripture. We learn methodology. And that brought joy to my heart. Methodology, which means that clearly you realize that I'm not imposing anything. My imposition is on the level of invitation. And you happen to be in my class, and I have no choice. But it doesn't mean that I ran after you to become my student to invite you. No, you just happen to be there. The way you, as a hearer, happen to be listening today, and I'm inviting you, it's just that my invitation sounds much more like a challenge, and it is. Let's begin with Elohim. And I'm going to use the original word, and I'm going to repeat it, so that you would realize that I'm, oh, you're speaking about God, Father Paul. No, immediately. And that's why in my presentations, especially these presentations regarding the entirety of 1 through 11, on purpose you're going to hear Hebrew. Even when I read the references, and I'll be reading a lot of passages from Scripture so that you could hear them, because I'm not sure that you're going to read them, when it comes, for instance, to God, you're going to hear me say, Elohim. And the Lord is Yahweh. Or you can pronounce it Yehovah, whatever. I mean, it doesn't, don't worry about the pronunciation. But you're not going to hear English. Because already the two words, God and Lord, are functional in your mind. How you came to that, it doesn't matter. You heard them in Sunday school, you grew up, you read books, and so on. I'm questioning whether the function of God, notice my terminology, the function of God on your lips and thus in your mind parallels, or more importantly, ultimately, is the same as the function of Elohim in the mind and the lips of the author. 
This is where we have to put the effort. And let me go back to my classic example where, you know, I was once at the cardiologist, and uh, remember, I did my medical studies, but this was in the 60s, and things have progressed now. I mean, even regular people, mothers who have to take care of their children, they use words which I myself do not know because I didn't grow up in this country, and they know it because they hear it. Suddenly, my cardiologist received a call from a colleague, so he apologized. He said, Father Paul, I need to take this call. Who was asking, obviously, a colleague wants to ask him his opinion about something. And after two minutes, he hung up. And for me, they were speaking Asfuri, Waswaza. I didn't get anything of what they are saying. Obviously, I got the sounds of certain words. But I didn't understand the content of what we're saying. Now, obviously they understood one another because he hung up after two minutes. What does this mean? That well, they were talking gibberish. I don't know about that. I didn't get it. Now, suppose, suppose that one of the words, and it so happens, but I know my place, I didn't give it in, that I remember it from my years of medical school. And someone would have asked me what they were saying. My question is, am I rendering what they were saying or not? But the trouble is that for us, when we come to the, ah, but this is not science and so on, it's a personal experience and God and the deity, and you see how you enter into platonic jargon without realizing. And this is not what I'm going to allow you, and I'm going to try you to work it out with me so that we can hear what the text is saying. You don't have to say was saying because the text is a text. But to hear what it is saying, you have to act as though, and I'll come back to that, you are the original hearer. In other words, you have to be someone living around the Syrian desert somewhere in Mesopotamia in the third century BC. And let me go on an aside, which I shall come back to time and again, because it's a disaster when we start speaking about the Bible. It's a universal, eternal message addressed to all ages and all peoples. That's not true. And my classic examples are the way we do readings in the church. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, a reading from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Very important, and you know my theory on this, you have to read the third part of my Rise of Scripture. Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.